Welcome to the Southland Podcast, a resource produced by Southland Christian Ministries located in Ringgold, Louisiana. We trust that this podcast will encourage and equip you in your walk with God. Man, if you're looking forward to that day, can you say amen? Man, that's going to be a great day. You know, I've known Mike Herbster for a long time. I remember, he would not remember this, but I remember the first time I ever met Mike and Mark, and uh, they were at uh, Thrift Haven Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. I was a college rep. It was 19, I don't know. And uh, I think it's 1979. You were probably about five, six years old. And I got to tell you, I was there for like uh, two days, just in the school and everything. And Mike and Mark Herbster were in my pockets. I couldn't go anywhere that they didn't follow me. I mean, just everywhere I went, I did, they were just there. And uh, uh, we just had the best couple of days there. And his dad came up to me. Well, I, I think I went to his dad. And I said, hey, listen, man, I just love your, your little guys. They are just the cutest little thing. I know a lot of things have happened, but uh, they're just the cutest guy. And I got to just tell you, they're either going to be, they're just going to do something for God or they're going to be the biggest pest in the world because they just, I can't get them away from me. And they said, and he said, you know what? They just love being around you. And I've never seen anyone take to, to uh, an adult uh, as much as our two boys have to you. And I have known Mike and Mark for such a long time and just how the gods use them. Um, I don't know. I don't remember Matt that well. I, I don't know what the deal was with that, but I don't remember Matt. But I, I just love Mike and Mark and just their spirit and the way that they do things. And I'm just so thankful to be here. And I just got to tell you, I mean, like today was like the coolest day in the world. So I don't know where you're going to get it, but next time at Tweakit, you'll stand and say, you know, Brother Shetler mentioned it. I just want to stand and testify. I thank God for the five bulldozers that God has provided for our camp. Okay, the bulldozer thing today was the coolest thing in the world. So Camp Shatek, I don't know how you're going to reproduce that in two years. And snow plowing will not work either, okay? <laughs> it's not going to work. But the bulldozing thing, that was like really, really cool. And I, and by the way, I'll tell you something, Sam, I'll tell you right now. You don't want me to ever come to Ironwood and have a bulldozer because Soldier Mountain will be Boy Scout Hill. I tell you what. <laughs> and Wilds, Willie, don't you be laughing at that. You give me a bulldozer on your property and we've got a Fifth Falls, man. We got a Fifth Falls. I tell I like that bulldozer stuff. That was pretty good. Cool. Willie, <laughs> we're in the bulldozer thing we're doing, and Willie's looking for his frisbee. <laughs> like, what in the world? You're going to get killed out there, son. You're going to get killed. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. So, everybody, for just a moment, I want you to think about your property. Well, first of all, first of all, I already made a mistake because it's not your property, is it? Whose property is that? And God did an amazing thing. I want everyone to think about their property for just a moment. Every one of you. Now, just a moment ago, you guys gave testimonies of the last year, which is really cool because that's how we're supposed to testify what's the Lord done recently. But would you not agree that every one of you probably could give a story about your property? And some of you have had the property for decades 
and what God has done and how God has done that. Now, we all know that that property consists of the same elements as the rest of the earth. But there's something about that place, isn't there? there there's people that come back to that piece of property when they're adults. And, and they come and see you, maybe before you were there. And they come and say, hey, God did a work with me on this piece of property. It was about, it was about 20 years ago. I came to camp here. And I, I'm in ministry today. I'm on the mission field today. My marriage is, I, I made decisions. You know, I, I gave my lunch to the Lord. I did this. I, I'm in ministry today. I, I came to that piece of property. Now, there's nothing special about your piece of property unless God shows up. And when God shows up, there's something special about your property. And God has blessed all of those places that you call camp. And you know that that's holy ground that camp. And you know this, no, I'll tell you, Brother Scheller, I know our camp is God's. It is God's. You know, I walk around my camp and Jim, I'm just telling you, it is amazing what God has done on this piece of property. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard a, a series of messages on the names of God, but can I tell you in the Old Testament, in the Torah, there are only three names of God in the Old Testament. Yeah, there is. That's it. You got Yehovah, Elohim, and Adonai. That's all you got. No, no, Brother Shalom, there's a lot. No, everything else are, are, are titles, but they're not names. Now, one of the big ones, I've heard these series on the names of God, and they always give this Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah God provides. He's a God provider. That is not a name of the Lord. That is not. Abraham did not call God Jehovah Jireh. He called the place where God provided Jehovah Jireh. Look at Genesis 22, if you don't believe me. Genesis 22, I cannot read verse 14 without reading uh, verse uh, 12 at least here. Um, and he said, this would be God, the Lord, lay not thy hand upon the lad. Wow, what a moment that had to be. Neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know. Okay, God is omniscient, all right, but I love this. For now I know that thou fearest God. You know, you know, Abraham, you got saved in chapter 15, all right? And, and, and Paul's going to confirm that in Romans chapter 4. You got saved when you believed and it was counted unto you to righteousness. That happens in chapter 15. But can I tell you something, little Abe? You have not shown it to me at all. Since chapter 15, it has been all your works. I mean, you're doing the Hagar thing, oh, the Ishmael thing. Wait till you see what ends up happening with Ishmael for the rest of your life and the rest of the generations, okay? You know what? I'm going to tell you something, Abraham. You got saved in chapter 15, but we have not seen your faith until chapter 22. Now, I, I, I love that. That's not what I'm going to speak on, but I love that. I just thought that was really good. That's just a little aside. But here we go. This is so cool. About, think about your property. Think about your property. Now I know that thou fearest God. See, now I see your faith. And by the way, God needs to see your faith. You cannot please God without faith. He needs to see your step of faith at your camp. He needs to see your faith. He says, now seeing that thou hast not withhold thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes 
and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram. By the way, aren't you glad Abraham went to the right mountain in Moriah? Moriah is a mountain range. He could have gone to a lot of different mountains. Aren't you glad he went to the right mountain? You know, you can be in the wrong mountain. Make sure, by the way, you're at the right mountain. Because if you're not at the right mountain, you won't see the ram in the thicket. If Abraham as an old man said, you know what, I think this hill over here will work. Yeah, it wouldn't work. Because if you go up that hill up there, <laughs> Isaac's dying, okay? You got to go to the right hill. You got to be on the right mountain, okay? That's not part of the message either, but I thought that was good. Okay, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, everyone get this, because I hope this is true with you on your piece of property, God's property. But I am going to tell you, there are dozens, hundreds, and I probably am not exaggerating to say thousands, and for some of your pieces of property, tens of thousands of people that would look at your piece of property that God gave you and say, it was a Jehovah Jireh. Look at this. And Abraham called the name of that. Everyone together, what's the next word? Place. Oh, that was like terrible. Everyone together, what's the next word? Place. place. Jehovah Jireh. That is not a name of God. It is a name of a place. And I want to tell you something. Don't ever forget that that piece of property that you minister on is a Jehovah Jireh to many people and pray that it will continue to be in the days ahead. That that piece of property that you call your camp is a Jehovah Jireh place. But we don't worship the place, do we? We worship the God of the place. Look with me for just a moment. This is all introductory stuff. Just getting you warmed up about for your camp ministry. Look over at Genesis chapter 28. Now we got another guy. So my favorite Old Testament character in the Bible is Joseph. Unfortunately, the Old Testament character that I line up with most of the time is Jacob. But my favorite guy is Joseph. I don't know about where you are on that. But anyways, uh, that Jacob, he's just a, he's a guy, I'm telling you. But here we go. Jacob, uh, he's done all his stuff all right. So here he is in chapter 28. And um, he has his dream at Bethel. And, and look at this, because this is really kind of cool. Look at verse 19, Genesis 28. And he called the name of that place Bethel, house of God. But the name of that city was Lutz at the first. So when he finally realizes that God is in his life, and he finally makes a decision to start serving God, he calls the place Bethel, the house of God. And um, many of your camps are a Bethel. But this is what I would pray if I were you. That there will be campers that grow up, get married, serve God, love the Lord, that will come back to your property. That property that as a 14-year-old, they surrendered their life. As a 16-year-old, they got saved whatever it might be. And I want you to see this before we pray and we get started tonight. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 35. Genesis 35, 
Jacob comes back to this place later in his life. And the first time he was there, hey, by the way, talk about camp. He made his pillows out of what? Rocks. Yeah, sounds like a camp cabin there, I'm telling you. So he comes back years later. Now, the first time he calls it Bethel, house of God. But when Jacob returns years later, he renames it. And I just love this because every one of you camp directors, every one of you support staff, operational staff, you need to get this. And he built there, this is later in his life now, so many things have happened. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. For he realized the first time he was there and he made a decision, this is the house of God. And he worshiped that place and made an altar. But later on, he comes back to that camp. And now it's not the house of God. Now it's all about the God of the house of God. So I want to just tell you all this before we pray. Let me just share this with you, camp directors. Praise God for the property God's given to you, the place that's God given to you. That place has been a Jehovah Jireh for probably dozens, hundreds, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people. But don't you ever forget, it's not the house of God that matters. It's the God of the house of God. And to you, that camp is not Bethel. To you, that camp is El Bethel. Because it's not about the property. It's about the God of the property. And don't ever forget it. Now, last night, we learned about the messengers in camp work. Boy, you got to be the right messenger in camp work. But tonight, we're going to look at two other things. We're going to look tonight at the ministry of camp work. What is the ministry of camp work? And then I want to share with you at the end, what is the motivation for camp work? I want you to see the ministry of camp work, and then I want you to see the motivation for camp work. I want to charge you up. Folks, this is the greatest time to live in the history of mankind. And I know that this is not the same America that I grew up in. And in the last two years, my America has changed. But I want to share this with you guys. And you get a hold of this. When I bought my wife's engagement ring, and that jeweler took out the little box of diamonds that I was going to choose, he didn't put them on the counter, on the glass counter. No, 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 no. He brought out a piece of black velvet. And he put that black velvet, black velvet was down. He took that little box of diamonds and he sprinkled them out on that black velvet. Okay, what's your point? We got it. It's black velvet. Because the diamonds shined brighter with a black backdrop. You could see the gemstones better. And I want to tell you something. In my life, this is the darkest America has ever been. But that gives us a chance to shine like we've never shined. And amongst the black backdrop, what this country needs so bad is a spiritual revival with the house of God. And I will tell you, there's a good chance 
It may not start in the churches. It may start on a weekend at a men's retreat, a ladies' celebration, or a week at camp. That revival will begin. I've been preaching for 42 years, and I am telling you, I have never seen young people more receptive, more responsive than in the last two years that I've been preaching. I have never, I'm telling you, the Generation Z sees the emptiness and they're searching. If there's ever been a time for camp work to join hands with church, it is now, guys. This is the greatest time to be a camp director. I believe that with all my heart. I believe this is the greatest time to be a preacher. I, I, it, oh, it's bad. This is not the America I grew up in. But the darker the night, the brighter the light. We want to look tonight at the ministry of camp work and the motivation of camp work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I don't think I'm going to say anything tonight that is going to be something that these camp workers have not heard. But Father, may the Spirit of God stir their soul. Father, their ministries need to get fired up. You gave them a piece of property. That property needs to be Jehovah Jireh, El Bethel. Father, it is you. It is not us. But we need to start believing. And Father, in a world that is so destroying young people, that we can have them for five days on your piece of property. May we be good stewards and may we have our philosophy centered on the Bible. Father, may we do what you want us to do. God, revive our hearts. Oh, Lord, may we get every method, every idea, every creativity, because all those things can be used. But Lord, help our camps create a climate of commitment, that there's just something when they're on that piece of property, young people want to make decisions for God. Father, stir our hearts on why we're doing what we're doing. Let us evaluate again where we are and why we're there. Father, these people are parish, parish church ministries but yet they are so vital to the church. May they understand who they are and what they're doing in the great scheme of things. And Lord, tonight, when they go back to their cabins and their rooms, may they pillow their head and say, oh God, thanks for letting me be in camp work. Wow, it's so needed in 2022. That would be my desire, Father. May you answer the prayer for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's children said, amen. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, years ago, I was having my devotions one morning and I was going through the gospel of John and I came to John chapter 11. Well, I knew about John chapter 11. This is uh, gonna be another one of the I am statements. There are seven I am statements in the gospel of John, every one pointing to his deity, 
And this is my personal favorite, the one in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is a story of Lazarus. And I knew the story of Lazarus and, and I knew all this stuff. And I was having my devotions one morning and I went like, oh yeah, here it is. Lazarus is going to die. They all thought he would, Jesus would come and heal him, but he's going to do something greater. He's going to raise him from the dead. And Martha, like usual, is going to be upset with Jesus. And, and then he's going to give his great I am statement. So I'm kind of like all prepared for devotions. So I'm starting to read, and as I'm reading, I come to verse 38. By the way, don't you love verse 35? Number one, because it's so easy to memorize. But number two, everyone together, let's quote it together. Uh, John eleven thirty-five. 35. Okay, so like, what is with that? He knows what's going to happen in just a moment. He's going to raise Lazarus to life. But isn't it incredible how the Lord enters into our grief? Isn't it amazing how our God enters into what we go through? Jesus weeps. They're grieving at the tomb. So Jesus is grieving. I just, that's just amazing to me. We get down to verse 38. So I'm reading. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, everyone together, give me the commandment that Jesus said. You got five words, camp workers. You can do this, all right? Jesus said, okay, okay, okay. All right, I got a problem with that. So I'm having my devotions, and I'm thinking to myself, what's the deal with that now? Why is Jesus telling him to take away, take, those guys take away the stone? In a moment, he's raising Lazarus from the dead. Okay, okay. If you can raise Lazarus from the dead and you got resurrection power, do you have stone moving power? Do you think you can move a stone if you can raise someone from the dead? And I'm sitting there in my devotion, I'm going like, why did you ask him to do that? Why don't you just do one of these and get it out of the way? Why don't you do this and a clap? Why don't you just have him walk right through the stone? If you got power to raise Lazarus, you definitely got power to move a stone. Y'all agree? So why did he ask them to do that? And I'm just going like, what's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? And I'm thinking, I'm meditating, I'm chewing on it. And I'm going like, why, why does he do that? And, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know what? I think the Lord wants them to become a part of the miracle. And he lets us do it too. You know, he lets us to be parts of the miracle, somebody getting saved. He'll let some of us be in camp work and this type of thing. So I'm thinking, yeah, I guess that's it. So Jesus says, take ye away the stone. Oh, Martha, the sister of him, this is good, that was dead, saith unto him, oh, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. Don't do this. Jesus said unto her, hey, hey, girl, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And they took away the stone. And I bet, you know, from the, from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And I, don't you just love verse 43? And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice. And that old Southern gospel preacher, Billy Kelly, used to say, he had to say Lazarus. 
or everyone would have came out of the tomb. I like that. I just love that. I love that. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, he does it again. Loose him and let him go. Now he could have done one of these and it could have been laundered by the time it hit. He could have had him walk right through the grave clothes. He does it again. He says, hey guys, help him with those dead clothes. And I'm sitting there going, okay, what in the world is going on here? Why are you doing this, Lord? Why are you telling them to move stones away? Because you don't need that. Why are you telling them to help them take off those grave clothes? Be- Ooh. Oh, this is interesting. And I'm sitting there, and I'm starting to think, oh, this is too cool. What are the two obligations of the New Testament church? Move stones away to get Jesus to dead people. We would call that evangelism. What's the other commission for the New Testament church? Help them take off their old life called discipleship. And I went, okay, that's really cool. What he asked both of them, both things that he asked at that grave to do is what he asked the New Testament church to do. Move stones out of the way to get Jesus to dead people. Help them take off their old life so that they can serve in newness of life and have that old baggage of their flesh taken off. You say, Brother Joe, can I just stop you? Yeah, go ahead. You are very much spiritualizing this passage. Okay, stop, stop. So Jesus one day is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees two fishermen and they are doing something. Everyone together, what are James? No, no, yeah, yeah, wait, wait, wait. No, what are Peter and Andrew doing? Everyone together, they are, they're fishing. And he says, hey, you too, Peter. Andrew, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They walk a little along the Sea of Galilee, and they come across two other guys, James and John. What are they doing? They are mending nets. They're repairing lives. They're doing discipleship. So when he calls the disciples, he calls them into evangelism and discipleship. No, 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 no. I think this is really cool. And I want to just tell you this right now. And you hear this because actually, if you get anything from tweakage, you need to get this. There is no reason for your camp to exist except for two things. The only reason why God gave you that property, only two reasons. One, to move stones away to get Jesus to teenagers, to get Jesus to people that are dead spiritually. That is it, guys. And number two, that on your property, they would take off their old life and start walking in newness of life, discipleship. There is only two reasons why your camp exists. 
evangelism and discipleship. Oh, so I got to get rid of all the really cool ideas I got. I've got some, these little glow, glow in the dark. I, I got to get rid of all that. No, come on now, think. What are all those things do? They help you move stones out of the way to a dead person to get Jesus to them, do they not? So I guess we don't do fun time anymore. Well, yeah, and if you don't, I never want to come to your camp. <laughs> well, Brother Shelley, you just said we're here for evangelism. And that's the point. Everything you do at your camp is to evangelize the lost and to disciple. So you're doing it either to get them to a point for that to happen. Now, let me tell you what I believe about camp. I think camps are an extension of the New Testament church. And that would be the time to say amen. Because guys, you better get a hold of that. You're, you know, like, if you take away my right arm, I'm in big trouble. I'm telling you what, you take away camp work and churches are in big trouble. But I am telling you, you are just an extension. You're the extension of the church. And what the church has got to do is exactly what camps have to do. But let me tell you what you guys were created for. There is a climate of commitment that occurs at a camp that just cannot be reproduced anywhere else. First of all, God revealed himself in two ways. He revealed himself, obviously, through uh, special revelation, God's word. But he also revealed himself in another way, general revelation. And I believe there's something about creation. And by the way, wherever your camp is, utilize God's creation in your camp. And I, I can tell you what, I have no problems with zip lines. I have no problems with everything you do. I don't have a problem with any bulldozers. I'm all about it, you know. But let me share this with you. Utilize God's creation because God revealed himself through creation. So whenever you can get your campers in creation, it's another opportunity for him to reveal himself. Are you with me? I think that's a really big deal. I am huge about camps utilizing God's creation, whatever it might be, because it's so good. But now let me just tell you this. What is the work? What is the ministry of camp work? Well, here's what I think it is. I know you've heard it a lot, but I'm going to say one more thing. Ministry, 42 years. You got to say a guy's got to learn something in 42 years. Here's what I learned. People do not grow spiritually except for by two ways. The only way that anyone can grow spiritually is they have to make spiritual decisions and they have to have spiritual discipline. Are you with me? You got to make spiritual decisions. You got to keep making spiritual decisions. Doesn't matter how old you are. And you got to have spiritual discipline with the spiritual decision. Now, everybody hear this because when you leave in your little van and fly away and you go back to your camp, this may be the most important thing of tweakage that you're going to hear. So you better get a hold of this. I was at a camp as a youth pastor years and years ago. And uh, the camp went from Sunday to Friday. And the Sunday night we got there, we had a service. It was a really good message. And it was like, wow, that was good. That was for our teenagers. Nobody responded. Nobody responded. The camp at that time was running eight to 900 teenagers. 
A lot of other teenagers from a lot of other churches responded, but not one teenager from the campus church responded. Next morning, really good message that was like, yeah, for my teens. I go forward, get ready for the invitation, and not one of my, I got 125 to 130 teenagers at this camp. Not one of them came forward. I'm going, okay, this is Monday night, God's going to rip it open, and he does. I mean, that camp, that early in the week, is already seeing revival. But there's a block of 125 teenagers. Nobody's moving. Tuesday morning chapel, same thing. I get my, my seat. I got a good youth group. I have a good spirit. I mean, we don't have like rebellion and everything going on. We don't have scorners. So I, I get Eric. I get Tim. I, I get uh, Scott. I, I get a bunch of my guys in the back, Nathan and John. And I say, hey, guys, what's going on? What is going on? They, got, oh, they all got their heads up. Hey, guys, what's going on? Aaron, Aaron will pick his head up. Scott, what's going on? He didn't pick his head up. Finally, Tim picks his head up. Pastor, yeah. You know, we come to this camp every, every summer. Yeah. And basically, we hear about the same messages. And we all make decisions. We all come forward, we all get right with God, and we go back, and two weeks later, we're exactly the same. Yeah, in your point? We decided this year, as a youth group, that we wouldn't make any decisions at camp because we never keep to our decisions. I looked at those boys, I said, everyone in the young men, look at me. What you guys are thinking is from the pit of hell. I just want to tell you that right now. We come to camp to make decisions. Guys, we need spiritual discipline when you get back home. We got to work on that. That's our job. That's me as a youth pastor. I got to help you, keep you accountable. But don't you come to this camp and hear what you've heard already and not respond to it. Now that day behind that cabin, God gave me the purpose of what you are doing. You are to create a climate that young people will make commitments for God. You can't guarantee the discipline. You don't need to worry about that. You create a climate on that piece of property that God gave you, that El Bethel, and you create a climate on that piece of property that young people want to respond. They want to get saved. They want to get sin out of their life. They want to surrender, and they want to serve God the rest of their life. And that decision needs to happen on your piece of property. And that's what you need to pray about. And everything you do, all of your menu, everything you do in the water sports, everything. So you protect your services. You protect your invitations. You protect, you think out why you have a bonfire. And when do you put the bonfire in? Everything is to create a climate for decisions. Guys, I pastored for 25 years. I pastored as far as I can figure, over 12,000 people. Can I tell you why I think you guys are important? Because I believe that you go to camp to make decisions. Every young person that gets off the bus or gets out of the van ought to be making their next 
step in the time that they're on that property that God's given to you. And everything you do, the work of camp ministry is moving stones out of the way and helping young people and adults at men's conferences at, at whatever you do and helping people take off their old life and live for God. And if you have any other goals, get out of camp work because that's the only reason, that is the ministry of camp work, that you create a climate that people can make decisions and don't ever feel bad. Don't ever feel guilty. Boy, you know, we constantly hear from youth pastors. They come to our camp. They make decisions in June and July and August, and they never, Lord, what are we doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. You got them for five days. Create a climate that every young person would want to make a decision for God. And if they do, thank God for what you did. You don't, you're not responsible for their discipleship. You are responsible for creating a climate that they would want to make a decision for their God. That in your counselors and in your staff, they see something that they don't see anywhere else. Man, we get them unplugged from those stupid telephones. We get them out in God's creation. You got them for five days. You don't have to worry about their discipleship. That's what we do back at the church and everything else we do through the year. But you better be concerned about creating a climate and you're, the music you play, the activities, the skits that you do, all of that can help move stones away, but don't be inappropriate. Don't mess up a time that the preaching time, that the invitation time. No, I gotta tell you, the ministry of camp work is creating a climate of commitment. I got one more point, I'm done. The motivation of camp work. Now, I understand what we said last night, and, and that, now that is, the prize is the Lord. But the motivation of camp work is two things. Number one, it is the glory of God. You, your motivation is, God, I want one day for you to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I was speaking at a, a teacher's, uh, educator's convention in Tennessee. And I, was speaking, I like speaking to teachers too, I tell you. And uh, I speak at an educator's conference. It was the last service, and um, it was te- it was Tennessee, and the and um, the president, I think, is a guy named uh, uh, Scallion, Randy Scallion, and um, he comes over to me. I'm sitting down over here, and he said, "Hey, brother Jim, can you help us with something in this service?" I said, "Sure." I'm closing it out, you know, with the general session, and, and he said, "Could you help us? Do you, do you see the easel up on the platform? Yeah, and you see the the, the picture that's covered." I said, yeah, we're going to honor Charles Walker for 40 years of education service in Tennessee. He's been like the president of the Tennessee Association for so many years, da, da, da. We're going to honor him. There's a painting, there's a portrait of Charles Walker behind that, uh, that, that tapestry up there on that easel. I need you to do something. I'm going like, yeah, why? I need you to go up. Can you see? There's a little string off to the side. And I go, yeah, I see it. I see it. Pull the string and it, the curtain opens up and everyone can see the picture. Will you help me when I call you up? I said, yeah, is that cool? Yeah, yeah, I'll be glad to do that. Yeah. 
So he gets up, he's doing his thing, and he's making all the announcements about everything like that. And I'm sitting over there, and I'm starting to think. Now, now, which string do I pull? Do I pull this one or do I pull this one? Well, and what if I pull it to into snags? I didn't get a chance to practice. Well, what if what if, oh no? What if I knock it over? Okay. I'm closing with the final message. I don't even know what I'm preaching. I, don't, I mean, well, I do know what I'm, I'm not thinking about that. All I'm so concerned about is I'm going to mess up Charles Walker's portrait, you know? And I'm saying, I am freaking out. I'm going like, oh, no, I should have practiced. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't want to mess up Charles Walker. Oh, man. And then it comes. He gives this long eulogy of Charles Walker. Brother Shetler, would you come up? I'm like shaking. I'm coming up. I'm like, oh, oh. and I get over there. <laughs> Brother Scallion says, go. <laughs> and I'm looking. I go, oh, Lord, please, may I not mess this up? And I take the string and I pull it. It opens perfectly. Charles Walker looks great. Everyone gives him a standing ovation. I go back, sit down, and I say, thank you, Lord. Brother Shelley. And what's the purpose of the illustration? There was only one thing I wanted to do. And that was make Charles Walker look good. The only thing I wanted to do was don't mess up Charles Walker big day. Can I tell you something, camp workers? You got one job. Make Jesus look good. Make sure you pull your string you do your job faithfully. I work in the kitchen and make sure you pull it right in the kitchen. You got one job and that is to give glory to God. You make sure God looks good at your camp and you do your job with everything you got because you do it for God's glory. But there is another motivation and that other motivation is the value of a soul. When you leave here tonight, I want every one of you to realize that that seventh grade boy that is the stinking biggest problem you have ever seen in your life has got a soul that will spend somewhere for eternity. That 16-year-old girl who is just destroying your camp right now is a soul that Jesus died for. So last night I finished with a missions trip to Scotland and so tonight I got one to Africa. So I went with a guy named Brian Busey, and we went to Africa together. We spent a week in uh, South Africa, and then we spent a week in Kenya. That was a life-changing trip. And uh, in Kenya, I did a, a meetings from Sunday to Wednesday in Nairobi at a, a Baptist church called Thika Road Baptist Church with a man named Pastor Julius. Oh, this is the greatest guy. And uh, so Pastor Julius um, um, let me, I had this Sunday through Wednesday, and we had, oh, we had just like the best meeting. They have a huge Christian school. I mean, hundreds of kids. I got to speak in, in chapel. and It was just the best week. Thursday, we're having lunch at Pastor Julius's. While we're having lunch, the phone rings. Pastor Julius goes in the kitchen, answers the phone. I can hear him talking, you know. He comes back out and he says, Brother Jim. The phone is for you. I said, what? The phone is for you. I said, I don't know anybody in Nairobi. He said, the phone is for you. I think you know who he is. 
or something like that. You know? So I go over, I get in the kitchen, I say, hello. Yeah, hello. Uh, this is Jim Shetler. Yeah, I know who this is. Do you know who this is? Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't. This is Jim Shetler. Yeah. Well, does the voice sound familiar? You know, it kind of did. And, and I said, you got to help me out. Yeah, I thought you were going to come see me when you got to Kenya. And I'm thinking, whoa, I know this guy. I said, uh, help me out. Yeah, like best friend in college. And I went, oh, John. Yeah, John. Were you going to totally forget me and come to Kenya? And I said, John, you got the orphanage. Yeah, I got the orphanage. And where are you, buddy? And I went, oh, man, John, I just totally forgot. I got, you know what, uh, in South Africa. I know, man, I just totally forgot. He said, I talked to Pastor Julius. You and your, your, your companion who's traveling with you, you're coming out to the orphanage tomorrow. I said, oh, that would be really cool. That would be great. We'd love to see that. So, so uh, the next day, John comes and picks us up in his, his Land Rover or whatever it was. And we drive about two and a half hours, and he's got this orphanage. And the orphanage is for street children, you know, and, and he's telling about it and everything. And I'm just, man, this is exciting. And you know what? In our two weeks that we were there, we didn't really get to experience Africa so much. His orphanage, the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. Has anyone here ever seen Mount Kilimanjaro before? Have you guys? It is the coolest place because it's not a mountain range. It's just this one huge mountain. It's got snow on it. It's just beautiful. Well, it was like, I'm in Africa. And then on our way to the orphanage, we're seeing all these animals. I saw the first time I, in, the, in the two weeks we were there, I saw an elephant. I saw a giraffe. We saw some wildlife. I'm going like, man, this is the coolest thing. He's talking about the orphanage. I'm looking at everything. And we start getting close to the orphanage. You got that tall grass, and you could see the top of the huts in, in, the, in the back. You could see the, the huts just kind of over the top of the thing. And he says, there's our compound up there. I think there were six of them. And we're driving up, and man, I'm getting excited. I'm going, this is really cool. So as we get about 100, maybe 75 yards out, the kids hear the car coming, and they all start coming. So they all start running out. And they're, they're coming out. But some of them aren't running. Some of them got like crutches. Some of them are like crawling, like chimpanzees. And then we get a little closer. We're like 25 yards out, and I start seeing these kids. And I know, I know about preachers, and you guys know about preachers and all that, but I am not exaggerating what I'm going to tell you. Those were 18 of the most grotesque children I have ever seen in my life. There had to be four to six of them that had cleft palate surgeries that went wrong. I mean, their mouth, it was just totally. There was a child that didn't have an eye, there was a child that didn't have an ear, and there were two kids that didn't have noses. There were some that didn't have arms. I am looking at the 18 most disfigured children and young people. They range from probably about five, six years of age to about 18, 17. And I looked at John and I said, John, what is this? What I've been telling you for the last two and a half hours. Jim, do you not understand what a street child is? I go, yeah, I guess not. Jim. They were discarded as trash in the streets of Nairobi. We drive down the streets and we picked, they probably had a bad surgery. They had an amputation and they didn't, and the parents didn't want them anymore. And they literally threw them out with the trash. I went, Oh man. That night we, we got there. We, we went around, went around to the compound. And then we had the meal. I couldn't eat a thing. 
It was the grossest thing I ever saw. These kids trying to get their food in their mouth, the way that they were chewing and their, their, their food was dripping down. I went, oh, this is the grossest thing I've ever seen. Later on that night, they do a singspiration every night and have a, an evening devotional and Wendy and John are, are singing and the kids start singing. Man, I never heard complete in thee better. I'm telling you, as a deer never sounded like that at any camp I've ever been at in my life. Those kids singing, I had to keep my eyes closed. But I just sat there and listened to these 18 kids sing. And whether it was trust and obey or how great thou art, I'm going like, ah, this is amazing. Then they have to go off to bed. And John comes over and says, hey, listen, before you and Brian leave tomorrow, I want you to give the morning chapel. What do you mean? I, I want you to speak tomorrow in the morning chapel before you leave. Well, I got to tell you, you know me. I don't say no to any speaking engagement. And I said to John, I said, man, I don't think I can do that. He said, no, you're going to speak in the morning chapel before the kids leave. And I said, John, I don't know if I can do that tomorrow. Why? Because of the way the kids look? And I said, yeah, I don't know. I think I can stand in front of them. Oh, no, you're giving them a devotional tomorrow. I go to bed that night or I try to go to sleep. I can't sleep. I don't know, what am I going to tell these kids? These are the most dis." Figured chill. If you ever saw one of these, you would go like, no way. I mean, I thought Jim was exaggerating. I mean, these kids look terrible. Next morning I get in. We're on a little, we're in a little hut. It's a dirt hut with benches. And the kids come in, some of them grab the thing, they get back up. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I, Lord gave me something. Well, I didn't know it was the Lord that gave it to me. Okay, I'm going like, I'm going to try something. I don't know. I got a plan B, I think, but I don't know what, but I'm going to try it. So I get in front of the kids and I said, boys and girls, I am so excited. Matter of fact, let me tell you something, boys and girls. I was so excited to speak to you all this morning. You know what I forgot, boys and girls, to do? And they go, now what, Brother Jim? I forgot to eat breakfast this morning. Boys and girls, I'm so excited, but I need something to eat. Is it okay if I have a banana before I eat? And the banana was all black, brewed. It was all bruised up, just about like this one. And I said, and I said, is it okay if I, now I'm not for sure what's going to happen here, but I'm thinking I got a plan B, if not. And I take the banana and I said, boys and girls, let me, and they all say, yeah, eat the banana, eat the banana. So I take the banana as if it's the very first time I've ever eaten a banana. And I take the banana and I start putting it in my mouth with the skin on it. And when I started to do that, the kids started to yell. No, Brother Jim, no, no. And I said, no, no, let me just eat the banana. Right. No, no, Brother Jim. I said, no, no, what? They said, Brother Jim, no, no, no. Outside, no good. What are you talking about? Outside, no good. Let me have the banana. No, Brother Jim. Peel the banana. Peel the banana. I don't know what you're talking about. Let me have my, no, Brother Jim. Outside, no good. And I said, I don't understand what you're, <gasps> oh, as if it was the first time I'd ever opened a banana, you know. Oh, <gasps> and girls. Mm. Mm, a good banana. <laughs> mm, oh, boys and girls. Oh, boys and girls. Oh, boys and girls. You are so right. Outside, not good. Inside, real good. And I said, boys and girls, can I tell you all something? 
as if they don't know. Boys and girls, can I tell you, you're outside, not so good. But boys and girls, you're inside, real good. Boys and girls, Jesus didn't come for this. Jesus came for this. Jesus died on the cross, not for your skin. Jesus came on the cross and died for your soul. And boys and girls, can I tell you, you're some of the sweetest boys and girls I've ever come across. You're inside real good, but you're outside not so good. God's got a plan for every one of you boys. Those kids are sitting there. They, they sit there and they're looking at me like, wow, maybe I have worth. Maybe I have value. You hear this camp director. We live in a country today that this is all that's important. But that is not what's important to God. And at your camp, let it not be about the skin of a camper. Let it be about their soul. Let it be that every camper that ever comes on that piece of property that you call El Bethel, any camper that ever comes on that property that is a Jehovah Jireh, you remember that that camper has a worth and a value to God. And I'll tell you this, one of the greatest things you'll ever do is that you remember, forget about, we're over 300 campers now a week. We're over 200 campers. We're over, and I don't care if it, we got 50 campers. Forget about the numbers and remember that every one of those campers are a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And you make sure your counselors understand that. And you make sure that with that kitchen staff understands that what we're doing is the worth and the value. The motivation for camp work is the glory of God and the worth of a soul. The ministry of camp work is evangelism and discipleship. And the messengers need to taste it and see that it is Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. It is our prayer that you would know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you have never experienced salvation through Christ alone, would you please reach out to us? You can contact us through our website at www.southlandcamp.org or call our camp office at 318-894-9154. See you next time on the Southland Podcast.